This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, joined as always by the OG himself, Mr. Greg Crumpton, who <laughs> he was. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what that was, but Greg is excited for today's episode. Greg, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good. Uh, it's uh, it's rare that I get to see you twice in one day, but today is one of those special days. So thank you for the double dip. It's true. It's true. Book two hours on my calendar today. We'll have to charge you double, but that's okay. That's a special <laughs> deal. Special deal. But that's right. no, I, I am excited. We have a young lady today who uh, is a dear friend and and like family to me. But she also has a really super duper interesting life and and her career. Uh, has taken her worldwide to some really cool places and some of the people she's been able to meet. Uh, thought it would, you know, we talk about mechanical and electrical a lot around uh, the relationships, but I met Christy, uh, oddly enough, through a relationship, <laughs> how most people meet. But then, you know, how it's evolved and, and how her life evolves around her relationships and how she makes money. Uh, for careers, I just thought was really interesting. So maybe some other folks will as well. Absolutely. Well, we are thrilled to be joined today by Christy Simmons. Christy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I'm excited. Well, Christy, you know, it only took me like $200 and 47 emails to convince you to come onto the podcast. <laughs> no, no. Not true. But um, <laughs> thank you for taking time with us today. And uh, we were just talking a, a second before we went live with uh, you You feeling like you're playing hooky today because you have a, a youngster who is uh, entering preschool for the second day. So welcome back to a little bit of normalcy anyway. Yeah, I don't know myself today because uh, it's his second day at daycare and it's a massive gap now in my day that I'm able to fill with things that I've you know, on my to-do list, of course, as always, but I do, I feel a little bit guilty, a little bit like I'm skipping school. Well, I won't tell on you, so your your secret's safe with me and Tyler. <laughs> it's really, you, you know, you heard my, my ramble when, when we first started about what I feel like you have done and some of the really neat stuff that you've gotten to partake in over your career and your life. And give us a little bit of a thumbnail of, of Christy and how you came to be uh, what you're doing and how you're doing it at this remarkably young age. <laughs> I am originally from Sydney, Australia, and I grew up in a niche area doing ballroom dancing. Um, I did it because my mom and dad worked full time and down the road from my mom's work was a little dance school. So after school, it was kind of like after school care and an activity two for one. So uh, myself and my brother and sister, we all did it until around 13, 14, my brother stopped and my sister a little bit older. And I continued to do it throughout um, school and throughout high school. And then at the age of 17, right out of school, I moved to Europe to pursue dancing. Um, I traveled around. I was very lucky. I lived in Holland for a little bit, Sweden, and then I actually ended up coming to the States. And that's the first time I really 
lived in America. I had traveled for competitions and for lessons. Um, but right around 17, 18, I lived in New Jersey originally for a year. And that was kind of my first time doing dancing full time, competing, teaching, practicing, traveling uh, was basically my life at that point. And then I moved back home to Australia for a year. And then after that, I had an opportunity to move back to America to represent the States, again, competing professionally in ballroom dancing. And I ended up in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then I met Greg. That was that was one of the most uh, amazing days ever. It was. I remember it like yesterday. I won't say good or bad for you, but it was good for me. So. And, and you're being very humble with your with your accomplishments, but I know for a fact that you have been worldwide recognized as a very top echelon of the uh, ballroom dance community, and you're very accomplished. So congratulations on that. All that Thank good you. stuff. And for those out there who know me and can't quite see Crumpton <laughs> ballroom dancing, uh, then your memory is is intact. I do not ballroom dance, but my wife was and is a ballroom dancer. Um, so that's how Christy and I came into contact. I didn't want anybody conjuring up any weird visions <laughs> in their head of me um, out there on the dance floor. So. Christy, you know, we, we talk on this show about how relationships evolve and how the ebb and flow of time and relationships and work and life all kind of tend to blend in and, you know, inter, intermingle, if you will. And I did I do know your dad and, and Nish and his using Sam and Nish in that same sentence was kind of <laughs> weird for me mentally. Yeah. But but <laughs> me too. Uh, <laughs> I am working through that, but um, so tell us how, like, when you know, I know how my world works and mechanical, electrical, infrastructure type stuff. But is that, you know, is there a small group? Like, do you know people in a small, as big as the world is, is it a small bubble of people in your world? I guess is a better way of asking that. Yes, I would say absolutely. It's a, I call it the ballroom bubble. Um, it is a very kind of out there sport or hobby activity to do. It's not like playing soccer or football or softball or anything like that. And it's actually interesting with everything going on in the world at the moment. A lot of um, Eastern Europe they grow up doing it because it's actually within their school curriculum. So a lot of uh, friends locally here in Charlotte are Ukrainian and they have family and friends fleeing Ukraine and in refugee camps actively now. So it's a very small niche thing, but it's completely worldwide. Uh, that Ukrainian thing is just devastating. And, and mm -hmm. actually, Connie, uh, my wife, for y'all who don't know is Connie, told me that some of, of the mutual friends and relations that you guys have were, have been and are being affected by that mess over there. Mm -hmm. So, so bad. All right. So you get into, and I'm just going to kind of walk through what you said. You, I didn't know they had, uh, ballroom dancing was a curriculum in, in public school. That's pretty cool. 
I don't think I would have done well there either. But um, so when you get out of school, out of high school, you, you decide you want to go pro. How how did you start? Like, well, well you just said, I'm going to move to Europe and kind of see what happens. Or how, how did that go? Because it's pretty far out for folks like me who. My story started in Europe because I, at that time in my life, had met a love of my life and we did long distance. He was Dutch. So I would go and visit him in Holland and he would come to Australia. And we did that for about three years. And that gave me the opportunity to be in Europe and to experience that competitive dance scene there, which landed me up in America after that. And experiencing the different culture in America, the lifestyle, it is similar to Australia, but still different. And so when I wanted to move back to America, it was a no-brainer for me to move back and accept the opportunity that I had moving to Charlotte. The opportunity was that I had a great competitive partnership as well as a good opportunity to work and earn money and be self-sustaining and have room for growth in that career aspect as well. Very nice. So, you know, I know that you and I have talked before and when people watch uh, Dancing with the Stars on TV, you know, you know some of those folks, you know, like they're, mm -hmm. that's how small of a world it is. And uh, I, I have with, I have sat through several of those episodes. Sat of through. <laughs> and um, endured. <laughs> endured is another word, but, you know, we take one for the team when we need to, but. You know, I just find it, it as big as the world is that, you know, your world is small enough to where, you know, I mean, it's pretty fascinating how, how really refined it is. And then the the way that the relationships maintain, you know, because I, I feel like when I've talked to you, you, you go to one event or you go to another event and you see somebody that you hadn't seen in 20 years, but you pick right back up like, you know, like you knew them or, or like you've been in touch with them. So. What's that dynamic like? Is it like once you're in that groove, you're kind of like you just know the drill? I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to relate it to my world because my world is it's like constant communication is required to keep that continuity uh, into or not constant, but frequent uh, to keep the continuity flowing in a relationship. But from what I see in, in your world, it's like you're able to have these gaps and then you go to competition in Blackpool, England. You see everybody again and then like you're reunited with your clan almost. Yeah, I would say for the true professional competitors who dedicate their life, that's your career, that's what you do, that's what you know. Um, there's a mutual respect and admiration towards one another because they're your competitors, for instance, but you all know how hard it is. You all know what it's like catching a train and using the subway in England and like having ramen noodles because you have to pay for lessons and then sleeping in these awful, awful bed and breakfast in Blackpool, England, where it's like horrendous. Like you're all, the playing field in that aspect is equal. So 
you have like this unspoken understanding, I would say, at the end of the day, once you've competed and everything, that because of that, when you see each other after you've retired, it's like old friends almost, and we're all in the same boat. And, you know, life goes different ways and people choose different things. But I do think with dancing, from my experience, it has taught me discipline, responsibility. I have learned through teaching um, how to engage different people, how to read different people, because people learn differently, male to female and what you do for a living makes a difference. So how to get the best result fastest for whoever you have in front of you while you're teaching, I think is a skill that over time you learn what, what works, what works for you as a coach and what works for each individual student. Um, I am fortunate. I've had some students, I don't know how we all say like that I put up with them and they put up with me for almost 10 years. And we have, you know, a rapport, an understanding. Yes, um, I'm the teacher and they're my student. But at the end of the day, we're friends and we've been through a lot together. We've, you know, a lot of time has passed. So I'm very fortunate that I have their respect and trust in what I do and what I teach and how they spend their time and their money. That's impressive. You know, I don't, I don't know that I would have thought about that, of having to have that that EQ ability when, when teaching like that, but it makes total sense the way you defined it because, you know, you have to speak to people a way and a method and a language that they hear it properly. You know? So that makes total sense how, now that you've said it that way. I just never, never would have put that together. All right. So changing gears a little bit, I know you're a hyper competitive person. Um, I've seen you dance and, and, it's amazing, um, you know, how we can be hanging out uh, at the house one day and, and just having fun and lounging around. And then I see this creature out there doing this, this artistic dance on the floor. And to be able to transform that mentally from hanging out, laughing, you know, eating pizza in, in, in uh, North Carolina or wherever we were, all the way to see and you compete, it, it's just remarkable how different your persona has to become once you get on the floor. And I know a lot of that's your competitive drive, but you also were competitive in the fact that you wanted to own your own studio and you did. Uh, what, what were some of the things that drove you into, uh, into wanting to own your own shop and, and hiring teachers and, and running? What was some of the, the you know, we, we're all crazy that want to be in business. <laughs> yeah. To quote Kenny Chesney, um, we're all here because we're not all there, um, or we're all here because we're not all there. Um, business owners are like that for sure. But what, what was some of your uh, drive and your passion for doing that? I would say that, Opening the studio at the time was the next, felt like the next move for us and for me. And I had two other partners when we opened the studio. I had been working for a previous studio owner. And it's when you immigrate 
from another country, you have a usually I had an O1 visa, but so depending what visa, you have to work for that company for three years. And because you're kind of over the barrel, they have you over the barrel, this company, it's not great circumstances a lot of the time. So having gone through that three-year Like working working conditions and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, just working conditions and – just general treatment and morality, like just things weren't always done in my perspective the right way. Um, and so that that in itself kind of made me want to have and create an environment for other dancers like myself that didn't necessarily have to go through that. And it was interesting over time when I owned the studio I realized some of the problems that were happening are just because of the industry and it's just humans are humans however I never agreed with how my previous studio owner dealt with those issues so I understand the issues are within the business like it's life but I always wanted to try and deal with those things that would come up in the best way possible so that's kind of where I tried to make a difference for myself to make myself happy and fulfilled owning the business and for hopefully my employees. Well, I think that that's, uh, I guess, as good of a catalyst as there is for owning a business in order to create an environment that was opposite of what you had to go through. You know, you're trying to create a safe place for people to work. Um because you're here as an immigrant on on a you know a visa, uh, that doesn't mean you should get treated like crap. You know you, you should have gainful employment and be treated like a, a, a proper <laughs> a proper human, for lack of a better word. But that um, so I think owning a business is probably one of the most eye-opening experiences that a person can have. Um, whether, you know, it's a small shop on, and you're running an eBay storefront or whether you actually have a, have a physical, uh, place like you had, or, you know, a service industry, like I've been involved with all of the problems tend to evolve around the same thing. Yes. We all have different problems associated with whatever industry you're in, you know, you're, you're dancers and, 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 you know, for, Tyler, it's trying to make sure that your podcast associates have a working microphone. Yes, I'm guilty of my not working. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the financial pressure, the, the want to do well pressure, the making people feel welcome pressure, all of those are the same to me from what I understand, regardless of what business you're in. If, if you're doing it for you know, the, the quote unquote right reasons and it's some money laundering operation. Uh, I might give that a go next because I was just thinking that. <laughs> um, but I, I think that, you know, once you understand and, you know, you're like I am, we didn't go to business school. We, we learned uh, home girl and homeboy accounting by running a business. 
and then you get smarter and then you go learn what you don't know because somebody asks you a question you can't answer you need to know that so um but it just has such an in, in impactful way of making you look at other people's businesses and what they go through in order to keep the doors open and it's hard you know um in any business is hard but especially yours because if you think about it you know most of us learn and hear and I don't know how true this is, but from my experience, it's fairly accurate. Um, artistic people, which dancers are, are typically not, you know, known for their business skills because they're they're more creative and they're more free flowing or free living or whatever terminology you want to use. And that's not bad or good. It's just different than somebody who is is naturally gifted at accounting. Now there are plenty of creative accountants and and there's very good creative people who are good in business. I'm not trying to say that I'm talking about typically you don't associate one with the other, but I think when somebody, someone like you crosses over from being artistic and you know, you're out there doing choreography, but yet you got to make payroll, make your rent. That gives you a whole different perspective on, you know, a, a, a drop and a fade on the dance floor. Yeah, I would say, like you said, uh, opening the business and everything, I learned hard and fast. You know, when it comes down to crunch time, bills have got to be paid and things have got to be met. And it was more or less my sole responsibility. So that was a big undertaking considering the space we had as well as my, and I realize this now in hindsight, having uh, had a break from owning the business and even teaching because when I was pregnant, um, but my drive and what makes me do things is I want to make people happy and I want to make things better for people. So trying to create the environment for my teachers, who I always imagined were my first clientele, if my teachers were happy, they're making more money, if they're busier. Also, that saying, um, idle hands is the devil's work. Like if they're, if they're busy, they can't be worrying about stuff so and making problems so which which is normal, like not saying I had I am so fortunate too, because my employees are amazing and still friends to this day and so I feel fortunate in that way but it's just you know human nature like you said dealing with artistic people um the other challenge I feel like our industry has is that we don't have a tangible object when you pass money to us you do not get something that you can put your hands on and take home and show people you get an experience you get um a feeling you get enjoyment, you get laughter, you get musicality, all these things that are eventually inside you and you experience and you can tell people about and share, but not something that you can actually touch with your hands. So having instructors who can share that, share their experience with clients is also, you know, that's that in itself is a talent to translate your passion and love for dancing into somebody else enjoying it 
as much or half as much even as you do and making it become part of their life and part of who they are and something that they enjoy to do for years and years to come. Well, so what, what I, I summarize that as basically your, your, your charge was to build a culture in the ballroom where people were able to shine because your customer outside of your teaching, but your customer was your instructors, your coaches, and then the end user were their customers. So you like were touching two or three different veins of the business. You had the, the business itself and then you had your coaches and then you had your own clientele because you still coached during that period. But, you know, leaders in business are their job is to set the tone and that tone can be really, really ugly. Uh, like maybe your previous uh, experience you were defining, or it can be really, really good, which is what you tried to foster and did foster. I was there. I saw the hugs and the happiness and all that stuff that went with success. Um, but I, I just, I commend you for it because you did run a really nice place and it was uh, not only, uh, you know, physically attractive, but all of those qualities that you just described, those adjectives about how people feel, you could witness it when they were there. You know, I think about Big Richard, um, you know, how happy that guy was when he was out there doing his thing with you and probably still is. Uh, you know, the, and there's a book a long time ago, and I, I think I've talked about it before, but it's called Selling the Invisible. And, uh, it was all about delivering that that vibe, for lack of a better word, when you're when you're selling a service of a non tangible thing like dance lessons would be. It's kind of like getting a massage. When you get up from the massage table, you got what you got. There, there's nothing you leave with other than that mental and physical relief, or you know, or whatever you were there for, but. You don't take anything with you other than the memory and the feeling. And to me, that's kind of what any service is about, really. You know, I even think about that in air conditioning service that, you know, the, the service experience is only as good as our technician communicates it to the end user for. You know, like we can sit around at a corporate office and talk about, you know, missions and goals and all that good stuff. Really comes down to the delivery at the windshield of that van delivery, you know, to that customer. How does that customer feel? Their building's cool, yeah, but do they feel good about it? You know, so I think that that's that whole culture piece that is so important. And, and Tyler's company at market scale, they have that. You know, I know the the guys that he works for that run the business, and they're genuine and they're passionate about what they do. And they're not just trying to rub two sticks together to make a living. They're really building, you know, a, a culture and and a company based on delivering good service. And so I'm I'm just thrilled by it. So I, I love to talk about culture because I, I just think that that beats a whole lot of problems. I've, I've been part of teams that have overcome, you know, pretty 
rough circumstances because the culture of the group was good. You know, yeah, it was a tough assignment, but, you know, and, and we talked a little bit this morning uh, about it with another call we were on with Tyler that, you know, the people in your foxhole, how, how do you, how, do, how did they feel? Are they part of your group or do you have to look over your shoulder? And when you're building a company and you're building a, a culture of, of good, you gotta, you gotta have all, you know, as many A players as you can in the hole with you. Yeah. I, in my personal experience, like I said earlier, when we opened the studio and you know, this all too well, Greg, we had, uh, three owners, myself and was my boyfriend, etc. at the time and a silent investor. And within the first probably year, to even three to six months probably of having the business open, my boyfriend and co-owner was doing things dodgy, we would say, in Australia. I don't know. We um, see that here too, and it means the same thing. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, very dodgy. Um, and those things uh, slowly came to light, and me being me, I was very trusting and um, at that point, too, I would say that I personally was a little bit naive because I felt like if I wouldn't do it and it wouldn't cross my mind to do anything like that or along those lines, like I didn't even consider somebody else doing things dodgy. So within the period of removing him from our partnership, uh, my instructors stood by me through all that and were loyal to me and it was very tumultuous because it's basically like mummy and daddy are divorcing basically and splitting in two and fighting over the studio and over teachers and everything and it was a very emotional time because also dealing with you know breaking up a relationship as well as a business so it was all encompassing um for me personally while still teaching and still competing with my students. So those teachers that stood by me through all that, and like I've said, are still friends today, that rapport and that relationship and that understanding, I think we will be friends for years to come through anything because we've been with each other. And I have the absolute I have so much respect and admiration for them because they have stood by me through all that as well as my clients like I've said I've had some for 10 years can't get rid of them and they too have stood by me through everything and and been very understanding and supportive so in that aspect I'm very very fortunate on the flip side of going through all that well you know I use the word scar tissue and um and the, the more uh, knife wounds that we get, the, the tougher we get and the more we learn, you know, like your MBA and my MBA came through band-aids because we got cut a lot, you know, so, uh, but, I, you know, Christy, I, I think that those relationships that we make in tough times are the ones that do endure, you know, i I've got friends now that I've had for 40 years in the industry um, that I remember, you know, 
two o'clock in the morning and you're working together and you look at each other like, holy crap, I'm completely beat. And then you look at each other and say, but we're not through. We got to keep rolling. And um, you, those are moments that you don't forget. And I mean, I remember them to this day very vividly. When I think about, you know, my buddy Jeff Birch in Atlanta, who just retired a couple of years ago, um, some of the he and I worked a lot because I was young and trying to save money. He's 10 years older than I was, and he had a bunch of kids, so he had to work a lot. <laughs> yeah. It was a natural pairing that he and I worked together a lot. But what we learned on those nights and weekends uh, were about trust and and knowing who you could count on and who you couldn't. And, you know, that carries forward. And, and you know, you said you were naive. Most people are naive before they get burned. Most people just don't ever want to admit they get burned, but we all do, you know. So. I mean, I think being naive is, is uh, you know, God put us on this planet in a naive way so that we would get smarter we went. Um, and we're supposed to go through stuff like that. But the, the, the secret formula is not to repeat the same, the same mess uh, or, or uh, create the same mess that we've created. Because if you're not, you're not learning, you know, like if you screw up the same thing five times, then you need to go get your head examined. But if you screw up five things, five different ways, that's cool because you're learning as you go. So just my take on it. But I have, I, I do applaud your your drive in, in building that business. So, all right. Well, we, we started off by talking about you playing hooky today from being a mama. So uh, what have what have you uh, and I, I like to ask people this question. What about running the business prepared you for being a mom? Oh, I am so thankful for the experiences that I've had in running the business and also dancing competitively because I know myself more. So when I react to things, I know kind of how to handle myself, I would say, because I'm like, oh, that's a that's a familiar feeling. This is how, you know, I can navigate myself through this I would say that in being a first-time mom especially during COVID uh, I flew home to Australia and left my boyfriend and baby daddy here in the States he's American um, <laughs> that's the first on the podcast Tyler baby daddy baby daddy yeah first time I like that <laughs> um, so I flew home to Australia to have our child and because of COVID restrictions, he had to get a travel authorization to enter into Australia. And the first time it was denied. So we had to apply again. It was very stressful. And he got there a couple of weeks before the birth. And then what happened, basically, I went into spontaneous labor and he was at home and our son, River is his name just came really quickly. So he ended up missing the birth anyway, <laughs> after all that. Um, but I would say in preparation, just the resilience and appreciation and um, knowing to one of my dance teachers actually told me when I was 17, before I moved 
overseas the first time, she said, tomorrow is always a new day. No matter what happens today, you'll wake up tomorrow and tomorrow will be a new day. So try not to take whatever you're worried about, like everything will be okay more or less tomorrow. So I've always tried to have that thought process, like everybody's fine, nobody's dying right now, everybody's healthy, everybody's safe, everybody's happy. And I think that easygoing mentality has served me really well with navigating our first year and a half now of motherhood. Well, he's certainly fun to watch. I'll tell you that. <laughs> he's cute. No doubt. So what what does the uh, future hold for dancing and momhood? And are you thinking about like next steps in the dance world? Or are you, are you, where are you at with that? Well, it's actually interesting you ask that because l- just like a week ago, Kevin and I got River into the day keg. He got like accepted because there's a wait list. Who, who would have known there's a wait list for a daycare? But, and then we got home and we had this conversation and Kev said to me, now, what are you going to do during the day? And that kind of ruffled my feathers a little bit because I was like, I didn't want to be defensive. Like I'm going to find something to do, but equally, I don't know right now. Like, I don't know, like, don't put me on the spot like that type thing. I've only just, you know, found out that I'm not going to be a full-time mom anymore. So um, now, like I said, today's playing hooky, but I do have a very good balance. I teach uh, three days, three half days a week, and then I have events probably two weekends a month. So that in itself kind of keeps me busy and out of trouble and is great income and it still allows me to have the flexibility of being here with my son, traveling, competing, teaching, sharing, and doing what I love to do. So for me, the balance is I couldn't I couldn't ask for anything better. Do you find, Christy, now that you have River, that um, you teach differently? Oh, 100%. My, when I had the studio, I did everything for my employees and for that studio to run and making money wasn't like a big thing so long as the studio was like going along and was taking care of itself it wasn't that's never been my mo but now like having river having the responsibility of wanting to you know provide a certain life for him and set him up and give him things and be able to travel with him and go home to see my family in Australia. So it's definitely a different perspective and it's a different sense of responsibility. You know, I think any time you teach or work for somebody after you've done something life altering, which they say they, you know, how they talk are, marriage, childbirth, and death, if you've experienced those three things, either upon yourself or someone close to you, it really gives you a different perspective when you go back to whatever it is you're doing. And in our industry, I see it when we have, you know, and, and when I owned a company, um, we'd have a really strong up, upcoming young person that was doing great. And then they wanted to go out on their own and start their own business. 
And I never tried to squash that because I, I never wanted somebody to squash my dream of doing it. But, you know, statistically, all of those companies don't make it. And if they, if you as a person leave a job the proper way uh, and you're a good employee, typically you get to come back if things don't work out well. And when people would come back under the umbrella after going out and doing their thing for a year, two or three, it's remarkable at the difference of employee they came back as because of having all those pressures that most business owners face uh, really opened their eyes to wanting them to be able to deliver more or more consistently or be more available or whatever to the company because they see the other side of the equation as an owner. Um, so I would think that that would be true in teaching it, it, when you go through something traumatic um, like childbirth. and Traumatic and, like childbirth. Well, you know, coupled with traveling 6,000 miles to go do it, mm-hmm. yeah. stuck in, over there in your grandmother's house and then mm-hmm. having to fly back. I mean, that's a big deal, you know. And but I would think that that would give you a different perspective for sure. Yeah, I think in our scenario, especially given the fact that I'm Australian, Kevin is American, we weren't married when we fell pregnant with River. And actually, I should clarify in Australia, we say you fall pregnant. I'm not sure if that's understood in American. Just well, now it is, it means happens you get by it. accident. <laughs> Um, but you when turn, I, up, turn up pregnant, that's right. Um, so we had very interesting dynamics between my wanting to be home in Australia with my family to have River, um, and navigating that within our own relationship. And Kevin has his own very successful business here, which is stability and comfort navigating that between the two of us has I think made both of us grow individually as well as a couple and having a very strong a now very strong I would say respect and understanding for each other as well as you know raising a child together and being responsible for this little soul is um is very challenging and interesting all at the same time. You know, that that's the beautiful part of maturity is that you get to be mature enough to see yourself maturing. Because when you're young and immature and inexperienced, you know, things are just flying by and they're not clicking. But when you are able to sit back a little bit, step back a little bit and see it, you're like, okay, I'm I freaking maybe growing up here right in front of my own eyes. <laughs> It's uh, it's been a heck of a journey, but well, we are we're unfortunately, Christy, uh, getting to our the near the witching hour where Tyler uh, cuts us off and gives me, <laughs> gives me the hook from stage right. Uh, really have enjoyed talking with you and about your journey through the through life, and look forward to seeing what's next after uh, after. I know something next is coming. I just don't know what it is for me you. Me neither. We'll see. You're um, you're somebody dear and special to me and Connie, and we love having you in our life and love you a lot, and we're glad you uh, were able to join us today. 
Likewise, I enjoyed it. Well, Christy, thank you again for for joining us for another great episode of the show. So uh, we appreciate it very much. And Greg, uh, another awesome episode in the books. Man, two in one day, too. Who would thought we would go from uh, data center construction to ballroom dancing all within four hours? A lot of parallels there. A lot of parallels. I'm not sure what they are, but they're there. I'm, I'm positive of it. Well, I would say Christy and Ron are both smart people. So we'll leave it. That's the parallel. That is the parallel. That is the parallel. Well, Greg, thanks for joining me again for another awesome episode. And uh, thanks for, uh, for, for driving this train today. It was fun. You know, I've, I've known Christy for a long time now and everything that uh, she has done, it's just been fun to watch because she's kind of like my kid, but I don't get a tax mm-hmm. deduction on her. Uh, <laughs> so she's my kid remotely, but uh, it's just been fun watching her uh, development as a, as a, you know, a, a independent contractor and then a business owner and now a mom and she's just done a great job and uh enjoyed hearing it it was good to it was good to hash it out i enjoyed it as well well more episodes to come so if you're not already subscribed to the podcast on apple Podcasts or spotify make sure to subscribe to straight out of crumpton there or of course visit gregcrumpton.com uh but for this one for christy simmons for greg crumpton i'm tyler kern we'll talk to you all again soon